I want to say this very carefully, not that I'm sorry about it, but I don't run in circles of famous people. Uh, Barb works at, used to work at Starbucks there in Idaho Springs, and all sorts of celebrities would come through for a cup of coffee. Uh, not me. Uh, I, I know the authors of some really good books that I read, but you probably don't. Uh, I, but in general, uh, it's hard for me, so I'm going to go way, way back. Uh, let me show you a picture of uh, these two women that I happen to meet. Can any of you recognize them? No, I didn't think so. Okay, very good, very good. Uh, Let's go to what they look like like uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Okay. The one on the left there is Helen Reddy, uh, an Australian uh, pop singer. Uh, I am woman, hear me roar. I can't. I'm not supposed to sing that song. Okay. But, you know, I met her in 1975 on the same plane by accident, and it's a long story, very humbling. I don't like to tell it very often. But uh, I thought that as we were moving to Australia, that all the lights and cameras were there for me. (laughs) I just told it, didn't I? Okay. Uh, The the second one is Marilyn Quayle, uh, Vice President, uh, Dan Quayle's wife. We don't remember them much, but Dan Quayle was famous for misspelling potatoes. So uh, I don't run in those circles. And, 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 and by the way, I'm, I'm looking at people that some of you would go, huh, never heard of them now because you're under 60. Uh, so I, you have to understand that when it comes to famous people, you've probably met more famous people than I have. But suppose that you grew up with someone who became famous and powerful and a very rich figure. But also suppose that that very same person that you knew in your childhood is one that you treated poorly. You teased. You bullied. You, you, you gossiped. You did all these things about that person and now suddenly you go, yeah, I know him. I know her. But that person maybe knows you too. Let's say that it was a lady and, 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 and there was a reunion, maybe a 50 year class reunion, uh, for your high school. And you show up and she shows up and she is aware of who you are and she remembers how you treated her. So you meet and you go, yeah, wasn't it great to be in high school together? And she goes, yep. Now maybe she's now a, a, a famous politician and She might have your tax returns scrutinized. (laughs) Or maybe she's a celebrity and she says, I use you as an example of how I overcame adversity in my life. You were my adversity. Or maybe she says something like, uh, well, I'm now very rich and famous. And I have a lot of money in the bank compared to you. So the subtle conclusion is, I won, you lost. We have come to this big event in the life of Joseph where he is reunited with his family. Now understand that he has been in disguise to this point and and it is a family or a, a set of brothers that believe that he's either a slave in Egypt or he's dead. 
We're also looking at at least 20, maybe 22, 23, 25, 26 years later, so that memories are very fuzzy. And, 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 and the brothers believe that they sold him in a moment of mercy. They wanted to kill him, but they only sold him. So now we are in Genesis chapter 45. If you have your Bibles open there, his brothers returned to Egypt for more grain. They've gone once, they've run out, they've come back. This time they bring their youngest brother Benjamin with them so that in the room all 12 brothers uh, and all 12 sons of Jacob are there together. And uh, and they had to bring Benjamin so that the other brother who was held hostage to make sure Benjamin would be brought, his name was Simeon, uh, by bringing Benjamin, uh, Pharaoh and uh, Joseph would know that their story was true. Joseph just wanted all his brothers there. So the 11 brothers faced the prime minister of Egypt, not knowing that he is the brother that they sold. Who is holding all the good cards? You got it. This is the guy who says, let's see, I'll ante up two, and everybody ante's up two, and someone thinks he has a good hand, and you go, I'll put in ten, I'll see that, and I'll raise you the whole pot. He holds all the good cards. It's like a royal flush of spades. And so the issue is not, will he win? But the issue is, will it be revenge or will it be reunion? What are Joseph's intentions at this moment? And more than that, behind Joseph's intentions, are they the same as God's? Do they align with God's intentions? So what we have here is one who is considered a prince who is also their brother. Now, there are three separate times in which Joseph's brothers appear to him. We've gone through two of them, but we have to remember all three. Joseph is the Egyptian with all the food and all the power. And his brothers are the beggars who bow down to him in respect and fear, meaning that God's dreams given to Joseph over 20 years earlier are now fulfilled. So when you read these accounts, it may appear that Joseph is being somewhat mischievous, conniving, even vengeful. But really what's going on is that just as God has tested Joseph through these years and taken him through adversity after adversity and still been with him, so Joseph is taking his brothers through a series of tests. And each one is not him getting even. Each one is saying, have you finally grown up? Are you ready to follow God so that God can use you to reach the world? So several of the brothers have failed at other times. They've, they, they make many other mistakes and they suffer their consequences. But this series of tests shows what God needs to do in their lives. And I want to say this. Do you believe God is testing you? Do you believe that as you live in a relationship with God, not only does he love you, but he's trying to make you a better believer, a better follower of Jesus. Do you believe that he's shaping your character in such a way that the adverse situations you're facing in this life, that he's in them and behind them and going to help you through them? I know that some of you would draw a line at disaster and things like that, and I understand that. But let's look at these. The first test of character, you might say, is a test of conscience. Because... Um, uh, you know, the brothers show up and Joseph recognizes them and he tests them by claiming that they are foreign spies. 
Why did they sell Joseph? Because he spied on them and gave them a bad report to daddy. So he is saying, you did the same thing that you claim I did. And now they're being repaid for selling Joseph 20 years earlier. It's a test of conscience. Did they know after all these years that in their hearts they had done the wrong thing? They'd sinned against God and sinned against their brother by selling him. Or were they still thinking life is so much better without Joseph around? Which would it be? How is your conscience and moral conviction being tested today? And what sort of grade are you getting? I want to say that in this one, the brothers say, this is happening to us, sort of a karma type of thing. And by the way, human nature believes in karma, uh, that, that now we're, you know, life is getting even. This is what we deserve because of what we did to our brother. The second one is when they come back with their brother, and we looked at that a little bit last week. And, and they return with Benjamin. And when Joseph sees Benjamin, he sits him at her dinner table and he gives him five times the amount of food that he gives the other ten. More than that, he gives him five sets of uh, uh, very lavish Egyptian clothing. Sort of like a Hugo Boss type of outfit, you know. And, and then even more than that, he gives to Benjamin only a blessing. Now the issue was, would they be as jealous of Benjamin as they were of Joseph? And they passed test number, 20, test number two, the jealousy test. Because even though they're amazed, they're not out to get their youngest brother, Benjamin. They pass it with flying colors. Now let me ask. Is there anyone you know that you're closely aligned with who loves taking all the glory, getting all the accolades, and you know that you're the one doing all the work? Isn't that the jealousy test? I think it is. Here's the third one. Because, and now we're going forward in chapter 44. They load the second set of grain on each of the donkeys. And they begin their journey out back to see daddy in Canaan. But uh, Joseph, still disguised as the prime minister, takes the king's goblet and he puts that wine cup into the bag of Benjamin. And out they go. So knowing what was about to happen... He lets them leave, and then he tells his guards, go bring them back. We're missing the king's goblet. Isn't this a great account? Can you sense the drama coming here? And and, and he brings them back, and he said, why did you do this to us? You know, we were so kind to you, and look what you've done. And all the brothers said, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. Honest, honest, it wasn't us. It must be somebody else. And, and then Judah steps up. Good old Judah. Out of comes uh, uh, both David and, 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 and eventually Jesus. And Judah says, Mr. Prime Minister, I promise you we didn't do it. But I tell you what, if you find that we did do it, you may kill the one who took the cup and put the rest of us into slavery for the rest of our lives. See, we know 
what they didn't know. And can you imagine? I mean, what I'm about to go through, um, you're going to say, gee, is, you're so cheap, Jim. Is this the best you could do? Yeah, because we don't have any budget for props around here, okay? <laughs> but what they do is they line up all 11 bags. And, 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 and they go through all 11, one by one. And you can just imagine the... You know, the, the sort of the drama growing, the, the depth of, you know, the intensity of what's going on here. And so they, they would start, okay, Reuben, let's see what's in your bag. Hmm, just grain and silver. Okay, well, let's go. Okay, Simeon, what's in your bag? Hmm, just grain and silver because they had put the silver back. That's okay. They don't mind that. So then they go, okay, Levi, what's in your bag? Just grain and silver. Wow. Judah, what's in your bag? Just grain and silver. Don't you feel like you're singing that Christmas carol on the 11 bags of (laughs) Joseph, my true love gave to me a bunch of grain and some silver left over from, okay. So he goes through all 10, and there's only one left. So the brothers are feeling really good. See, we told you. And they pick up that last bag. And what's in the bag? The silver the grain, and at the very top, the king's, (laughs) hey, I don't have any silver, okay, so they find the king's goblet, and oh my gosh, the shock that is on their face, how could this happen, and so they realize the promise that had been made, Benjamin's going to die, and the rest of us are going to be put into slavery. And so one of the brothers, again, Judah, the the most honorable one, because he's learned honor the hard way, he steps forward and he says, please don't do this. I tell you what, use me instead of Benjamin. Make me your slave or kill me or do whatever you want with me. But let Benjamin go. Why? Because it would kill dad. Loyalty test, number three, past. Loyalty test, number three, past. Now we see the brothers actually protecting one another in ways they've never done it before. Uh, now we see that, you know, that they are stepping in and taking responsibility. Now we see that even though their dad has not been the greatest dad, they step forward and say, we're going to honor our father. So what they eagerly did to Joseph, you see, they pleaded that Joseph not do to Benjamin. Test passed. Are you facing any loyalty tests right now? A test at the home, a test at work, students, a test at your school. Who will be your friends? Who will the one, who, you know, will you stand up for those even though the social pressure is against you? Are you facing those tests? Test in your faith. Will you be loyal to Jesus Christ? Or, or test in your church. This is one of the ways in which God tests us. And it should be viewed as a test to prove how important God is in our lives and his desire for us in the future. So now we get to that marvelous point. Get the precious goblet back where it belongs. And, and we're in the beginning of chapter 45. 
It says, then Joseph, after passing this test, could no longer control himself before all of his attendants and cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Those tears were both tears of, you know, I've been holding this in all of my life. They were also tears of joy watching his brothers grow up. And take responsibility and follow God as they should. And so he weeps uncontrollably. And sobbing so loud that the Pharaoh's house hears about it. And now these words in verse 3. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Can you picture that moment? There's 110 white knuckles looking at Joseph. There are 22 burning ears hearing what Joseph just said. And 11 dropped jaws lower than snake's hips on the ground. In shocked unbelief in what the prince has just told them. So as they remain stunned and, and, and they see the tears going on, he says it again. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Not that they would get that one mixed up. But I am the one. I'm still alive. And I'm now the Lord of all of Egypt. Can you believe this? And so with that, there's a series of what you might say um, uh, uh, reunion steps that he takes. And if you read in that passage, you'll see that the first thing he does is through his tears, he tells the brothers, come close. That says, I'm not going to get back at you. And then he uh, he explains his story of what's happened in his life. So they'll be aware of how he got to this position. He embraces Benjamin. And then he kisses and hugs all of them until the 11 catch their collective breasts. And he can speak to them. Friends, I challenge you to read this, this climax of this great event. And it's more than a reunion. Do you understand? Do you understand the difference between a reunion, like you go for your high school friends and you, you, know, you go to those every five, ten years, and reconciliation? Reconciliation is where the relationship is made right again. And you can have reunions, I've had them, where there's no reconciliation. I've gone to reunions where people say, now you're coming into this family and you can expect this person to be like this and this person to be like this and this person has no social skills at all. He's just going to let you have it. There's no reconciliation. They're aware of the of the tendencies of each people and, and they're warning you about them instead of saying, I love this person. So uh, we're looking at a reconciliation and like the prodigal son recognizes, uh, uh, reconciles with his father and we all shed a tear when we read that. Now 12 brothers reconcile after acts of treasury, after holding deeply guilty consciences for 22 years and a long period of separation from one another. What a moment. What a moment. And I still cry when I see reconciliation. If it's on TV, even if it's fake, I can't help it. I can't. Well, behind all this, we see people on earth be reconciled. But behind all this, we see God at work. And that's the issue of the account of Joseph. It's not what's happening among the people, but it's how God is directing them. And it's the same way for us today. We have to understand that it looks like this is all on the human level. 
But God is at work. Are you ready to see what he's doing? Because we're talking about divine intentions or the otherwise, in other words, what people are intending. So what is it that's going on here? Well, first of all, God's first intention is that all the brothers would would contribute to God's great plan. And here's how Joseph puts it in verse 5. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So they're off the hook. And Joseph is realizing when I, you know, when I was back in Canaan, there's no doubt I had all the tools. I had a special relationship with God where he gave me dreams. I had all the tools to do this. I didn't have the character. I didn't have the maturity. I didn't have the walk with God. And this is why God brought me here. And now that this, uh, that God has also worked in me these ways, guess what? Now we're going to save many lives, Egypt and all of Canaan. So he realizes that his adversity is God's testing. And his, you know, even though his brothers sell him, God places Joseph in Egypt to save them. And here's the idea. When hatred, man's hatred, confronts God's compassion, guess who wins? Who wins? Wow, it's only about three of you. (laughs) Think about that. Think about that. Who wins? God wins. Especially if someone is in tune with God's intentions through all this. And then he says it again. He says it in verse 7 and 8. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over Egypt. I guess he just had to say that. By the way, I'm still boss. I may be number 11, but I'm still boss. You're alive because of yo. So... Joseph sees God's work to accomplish his plan, and it overrides his own brother's evil intentions. As one keen observer put it, and I'm going to say this more than once, reconciling comes through forgiving. You cannot reconcile before you forgive. Reconciling comes through forgiving, and forgiving comes through recognizing the sovereignty of God. I'll read it again. Recognizing comes through forgiving, and forgiving comes through recognizing the sovereignty of God. How big is your God? How big is your God? Is he big enough to lead you into forgiving and reconciling with those who have hurt you? It may be a long journey. I hope it's not, you know, a lifetime or 22 to 25 years. It may be a long journey. But is your God really sovereign? So that the damaged and fractured relationships of the past, you realize what of God's intentions may be to heal those. He has a second thing. You might say a a second intention. And that is through Joseph to give us a model for our eternity. And what do I mean by that? It, at least one other intention is we look at G, uh, Joseph as a model of what God's kingdom is all about. 
Because you see, once we are reconciled, our prince, whom Jesus, we call Jesus, calls us his brothers and sisters. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We're going to put it up there. Can you read it? Can you see it well enough? I can. I got the cheat screen back there. I'm going to read part of it, or most of it, and, and, and then I'm going to stop, and I want us to read the last part together. So, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy, which we are made holy through faith in Jesus Christ, are of the same family. Now I'll read that last line. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and today sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to look at you who've come to faith in him and not just say, I, I'm the prince, I'm the Lord, I'm the savior, I'm the one with all the authority. Jesus is not ashamed to do that. But he's also not ashamed to look at you and say, you are now my sister or my brother. This is what the cross has accomplished. So you might say, well, why, why is that important? I didn't sell Jesus into slavery. But if you're like me, you've either neglected or rejected his true identity and his rule in your life. We have placed him far away, not in Egypt maybe, but a place of very little influence. Both Jesus, and now just look at these things that, that, that fit together, because Joseph is a model of the Christ who would come. Uh, both Jesus and Joseph were betrayed and sold. Both were falsely accused. Both condemned and imprisoned. Both had adversaries that thought they had seen the last of both of them. Joseph in Egypt and Jesus in a sealed tomb. Both resurface. Joseph as the prince of Egypt. Jesus from his slab of death. Both are promoted. One by Pharaoh and one by God Almighty himself. Joseph is put into position of number two in the kingdom of Egypt. Jesus is number one in the kingdom of God forever and ever. Joseph holds a nation together. And his family together. Jesus holds the entire universe that he created together. Both are eager to say, I'm your brother. Both Jesus and Joseph weep for joy at the sight of you. Jesus calls you to come to him just as Joseph told his brothers to come to him. Especially to those who are weary, suffering in their broken lives. Jesus cares for you and honors your name before his father in heaven. Friends, you may not have come from a model family, and you may not have been the model child. That does not stop the work that God wants to do. In Jesus, you have the big brother that you always long for. The one to uphold and courage and power, stand beside you, and keep you moving ahead, even in the worst of times. <coughs> so, you may sense that you are without a plan even to survive the circumstances you're going through. But your brother has a plan that you will thrive. You sense weakness 
but your brother is strong. You know you're not good. Your brother, Jesus Christ, is perfectly good. You sense you have no influence. Your brother not only rules all of the kingdom of God in heaven itself, but he has a place for you there forever. So this is the moment where you're saying, "Mm, if that's all true, is it yet mine? Is it up here? Or have I yet claimed it for myself? Does it become deeply personal? We call this crossing a line of faith. Not just so that you read the facts, but you say, man, I claim those facts. That just as there were 11 brothers who looked at Joseph and reconciled with him, so there is a Jesus. And he's saying, through my death on the cross, I allow you to be reconciled with God and with me. There'll no longer be any separation between us. But all you have to do is say, Jesus, what you did on the cross, I personally believe. I know what you did, but I claim that you're not just the Savior, you are my Savior. I accept your offer of forgiveness for my sins. I accept what you did on the cross to reconcile me to your Father. And I cross that line of faith. Not just with my head, but with my heart. I place my trust in you. You are my only hope. He is Jesus, God's son. He is the savior. And you say, Lord, now you are my savior. The holy one who has made me holy now calls me brother or sister of his. I don't know why people turn that down. Have you? This would be a great time to cross the line of faith. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. If there are people here who are still distant from you, not because of the facts they know, but because of the commitment they have yet to make, this could be their moment. I want to be considered a sister, a brother of Christ Jesus. I want to be aligned with the most famous person who has ever walked this earth. And he did it in three short years. I want to be aligned with the one who rose from the dead and has been promoted and given the title and the name that is above every other name. I want forgiveness for my sins like those 11 brothers. And I want a reconciling relationship with Jesus and his Father in heaven. Can you make that step? Can you cross that line? This would be a great moment. And for those of us who already call ourselves sisters or brothers, that we know that Jesus has given us this title. Enjoy the privilege. Take time to enjoy the privilege of what it means to be not just in the kingdom of God,
but the family of God. And all those believers that irritate you, and all the believers that you irritate, see them as fellow heirs and brothers and sisters in Christ. Do all you can to love them fervently. In Christ's name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. If uh, this morning you cross that line of faith, would you talk to me? Or you can do a prayer card or a registration card in the Connect Center. I know that seems a bit distant and a little bit cold. But one way or the other, let somebody know. If it's not me, the person you came with, this could be a great moment, a new beginning.